Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm your host, Daphne Luchtenberg. And I'm your host, Christian Johnson. And you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. And it's that time of year again where we reflect on how the world of operations has changed and start to think about what could or ideally will happen in the coming year. Yes. And while it only feels like a blink of an eye since we were last recording an annual retrospective for this podcast, it's certainly been a packed year with operations questions remaining firmly parked at the top of the boardroom and executive suite agendas. When we came out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we talked a lot about the next normal and what that would bring. But a couple of years on, it's clear to see that there is no normal anymore. And it's not just the supply chain that's exposed to volatility, but every part of the value chain. Agility and resilience remain the watchwords for developing an operationally savvy strategy. But of course, one of the biggest topics of the year, Christian, has been generative AI, the latest shiny object and by all accounts a powerful accelerator for technology, innovation, and efficiency gains. Yes, that's been talked about a lot, both within our own teams and in companies we work with. There's a lot of potential for it in operations, in extending human capabilities. You see it both in terms of content generation for service operations, contact centers, product development, and then real co-piloting in manufacturing and supply chain operations in areas like procurement. So it's making a lot of noise with organizations around the world. And I think that noise is perhaps the operative word here. And Christian, you know, we've made it our mission in McKinsey Talks Operations to cut through all that. Indeed. Last year, we talked about digital twins. With still lots more to do on that front, but now, augmented with generative AI, we're already seeing that innovation develop even further and faster. There are so many applications across the value chain, as you say, but let's listen in to Nikolai Muller and Marie Alhoyek when you spoke to them just a little while ago. Gen AI is a fascinating field, and just like the name entails, it's somewhere at the intersection between artificial intelligence and natural language processing. Basically, You have a machine that can analyze something, and this something can now be unstructured like a language or pictures. A lot like a person, Gen AI is all about teaching machines to understand and generate text or content. Now, to give this a bit more flavor, let's talk about the different generations of large language models, LLMs. LLMs are the driving force behind anything we call Gen AI. And one of the first ones we heard about commonly is GPT-3, which is Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3. And when it came out, it had 175 billion parameters. Imagine parameters as the amount of stuff it had learned. And it could generate text that could go from writing letters to answering questions, but very much text-based. And then right after it, We saw GPT-4 come out, and we went from 175 billion to 170 trillion parameters. So imagine how much more it had learned, and it was more fluent, more accurate, but now it could also be used for image and for video. And this is the really transformative possibility with Gen AI. You can now generate new content in many different types of spaces. Gen AI in operations has just started to pick up, I would say, in the first part of this year. And it has, in terms of amount of searches, overtaken everything you can imagine. 
which may give you an indication, wow, is there a huge hype out there? And has this hype already, as you said, now and all the dreams come true? They have not come through yet. And indeed, people now start and recognize that things are easy, like the low-hanging fruits, but actually the real core is still challenging to implement and also to make your company adopt it, change it. So we still are at the verge to answer one important question when it comes to Gen AI. Is it now just another toolkit in your operations like lean, digital, any also other artificial intelligence, predictive maintenance, for example, enabled um, levers you can pull? Or is it a disruption in its own? Is it changing the way you operate? That was a great discussion about the potential that generative AI can unlock. And I'm sure there's more to come on that topic in the next 12 months, Daphne. I don't doubt for a second that we will be talking about it again at this time next year. And as with other technologies, it will be important for it to be developed and deployed with a business problem in mind, technology where and when it matters, if you will. And that brings us neatly to one of my favorite conversations this year on next generation operational excellence. Uh, I think one of the reasons that conversation was so powerful was that while technology is the core enabler or maybe the common thread running through the approach, it's firmly anchored in the where and when it matters principle. It's a shared sense of purpose and understanding of strategy, democratizing that level of understanding throughout the organization, which really helps to make a difference, right? Yes, it's understanding and sharing a common goal that really helps organizations move the needle. When everyone's pulling in the same direction and understands the why, magical things can happen. And we don't have to look far from our own door, if you'll forgive a moment of self-congratulation, to see this in action here at our firm. The Operations Excellent Talent Program is now celebrating its 25th anniversary. And when you dig deeper, that is a truly inspiring story of developing the next generation of operations professionals through a hands-on apprenticeship-led program. Yes, and we've seen our OEP alumni go off to become partners, senior partners, and even branch out to take C-suite roles. Exactly. We're playing our part in developing ops leaders for tomorrow. Let's hear what Joris Wipkema and Ted Iverson, two of our leading experts on this topic, had to say when you spoke to them about it earlier this year. Maybe, first of all, it's important to say what it's not. It's not a particular set of outcomes or performance numbers. If you're talking about a manufacturing setting, it's not about what your scrap rate is or what your capacity utilization is. That, of course, those type of metrics are often the goal. But what operational excellence looks like is really a consistent way of working. It's a consistent way of working that delivers on the goals, really activating the entire organization to continuously get better every day at achieving that organization's purpose. So it's really a set of culture, behaviors, mindsets, daily practices that is intimately tied to the organization's reason for being. I'll add on top of that that what we've really seen in the last few years is two elements becoming more and more important as part of that operational excellence framework. Employees are looking for purpose. They're looking for more than a job, more than a paycheck in their day-to-day -day work. And so the ability for the organization to tie into that and have it be tied to the organization's purpose is important. And the second one is more seamless application of technology in a way that respects the humans in the organization, but is also tied to a level of maturity that organizations have in their operational practices. 
And in the same conversation, Ferran Pujol also shared a bit about the power of technology. Maybe one example at the pulp and paper company, they were able to use technology through the lens of operational excellence and link processes that were disconnected before, like the forestry with the harvesting and then the pulp plants. So they were able to do that by using technology, by but following the principles. And the results were that the operators at the end were able to make decisions from the forestry to the plant. So they were much more empowered. The level of decisions that they were making were much more broader, which much more impact than, than in the past. Christian, I really loved how you got those experts to dig deep and was struck by the other topic in that episode, namely the importance of the role of the C-suite in embedding operational excellence. And therefore, developing leadership is not just your managers in your front line. Dan Swan and Axel Carlson talked about the fundamentals of operational excellence within the C-suite in their episode. Let's hear first from Axel about how COOs gain expertise in lean methodologies and how we're currently witnessing a return to a back-to-the-basics approach, now enhanced with technology and a deeper, broader reevaluation of corporate purpose. It involves thinking differently about how people are involved in delivering excellence. Our practice was almost uh, founded upon the principles of lean, and for, for many years we did the vast majority of the work we did was in lean. I think over the last 15 years or so, we've seen a shift from the classical lean into more technology-driven operations of various sorts. I would still say that for those of us who remember the old lean principles, they still apply. So it's all different types of lean, but it's now kind of morphed into new shapes. And um, lean is a commodity, you could say. So most of our clients are pretty good at doing it. So I think now our clients are thinking more about the next wave of lean in digital manufacturing, in uh, leveraging the latest procurement tools in digital procurement. We spoke already about service operations and automation and also what Gen AI can mean for that. All of this is, of course, based on lean principles, but it's really the technology-enabled next-generation version of that. And I think the macroeconomic environment that we started talking about is, of course, driving a much faster adoption of these new technologies and new practices with our clients. Well, operations is certainly on the CEO agenda. Let's hear what Dan had to say about how CEOs are engaging with these types of operations topics. One of the things that, you know, there's kind of an old adage in operations and supply chain that you only get called to the front when something's gone wrong. And so I think certainly for a lot of people, things went wrong and were very challenging over the last couple of years. I do think very naturally it has become more of a board and a CEO level topic. And I think a couple of big things behind that, right? One is just obviously with some of the major disruptions we had, it's just it was impossible to run your supply chain. And one of the things that I think has been lost in the discussion around the supply chain disruptions over the last couple of years is just the crazy spikes in demand that we saw in different industries. I think the second is this led to some really big and challenging conversations and big strategic discussions. Early on in the pandemic, what we found in our, all of our surveys were that what people were doing was basically trying to increase inventory. And that's fine. You can do that in relatively short order, et cetera. But as we've seen it evolve over the last couple of years, and it's not just been the pandemic, but it's been the war and all these other disruptions, all of a sudden people are talking about, should we be doing more um, nearshoring or reshoring and doing more production closer to the consumer? 
Should we be rethinking our talent profile? And are we over-concentrated in certain countries around the world? Should we be thinking about changing the specifications of our product? And I think a lot of those things led to really strategic, really important discussions that brought supply chain to the forefront of not just the, the CEO and the executive room, but the boardroom as well. Building on that leadership topic, we were joined earlier this year by Knut Alika and Radu Palameriu talking about the changing role of the global supply chain leaders. Yes, it was great to hear from them both about the people they had spoken to while they were writing their book, From Source to Sold. There was some really great advice, Daphne, from Radu about this idea of reverse mentoring. Probably the most impactful pattern that I have seen across both the leaders that we've interviewed in the book, as well as in general, because our day-to-day business is executive search when we interview all these senior executives, there is an impact of one or several mentors that those mentors had a fast-track impact on their career. So I would say ask actively and find mentors that have walked the path that you want to reach. They are already perhaps at the destination and they can teach you how to get there faster. So whatever that might be. Yeah? So if you want to become CEO, find somebody that has done it. If you want to become CSEO, if you want to become the best expert in um, procurement, there's always going to be mentors that you can leverage on that can, can fast track your path to, to success. Now, a very important and interesting angle to mentorship is what is called reverse mentorship in some ways. More specifically, that there's at least two contributors in the book that talk about it, taking advice from a very young professional. So as a CEO, there was one particular contributor, he was a CEO of an electronics company, and he was sharing with us how he took advice on social media, selling electronics on Instagram and on the social channels from a social media influencer that was 30 years younger than him. That reverse mentoring is also an incredibly important piece that the best leaders, both in the book as well as just in real life, as well as in general, applies greatly. It's not just people that have walked the path in, uh, you know, also in terms of age, but it's also younger generation that we can learn a lot. I would say the number one hack, but and it is completely legal hack <laughs> to upgrade and fast track a career is to get the right mentors, whether it is reverse mentoring, whether it is in, in senior positions, whether it's uh, whatever it might be, get the right mentors in place. That's really great advice and something that we can all learn from whatever our role. One of the other major topics of the episode was the importance of building resilient supply chains, something that's remained high on the radar of operations leaders this year. We recently launched our latest Supply Chain Pulse survey, where we uncovered an undeniable truth. Despite advances in technology and regionalization, boards still lack effective risk mitigation strategies. For supply chain leaders, building board and C-suite level capabilities in supply chain risk will be increasingly critical, not only to maintain momentum, but also to protect the business. Yeah, very true, Daphne. Post-pandemic, supply chain management is part of our daily lexicon, of course, for us in our professional lives, but also for many of us in our personal lives. And so a preview and a plug for upcoming episodes, we have a great conversation upcoming in 2024 around advanced planning systems or APS in supply chain, where our experts will talk about going from supply chain efficiency to genuine resiliency. You won't want to miss it. Lots of exciting conversations coming in 2024 for sure. But don't worry, we've got more supply chain content to discuss. 
Um, wanted to loop back to Knut Alika talking a bit more about supply chain renaissance and how things worked better than we might have thought. So you could always say, hey, logistics is super old because all the army basically started logistics. So the physical flow part of supply chain. But all of these planning topics, working together, collaboration, digital and so on, that is a pretty new topic. So it's getting there. And what we saw with the last three years was clearly a massive acceleration. Everyone talks about it. And I like what Radu said on kind of, um, we we have a seat at the table, right? We have a seat at the table at the board. And now we need to make sure that we keep it. We prove that supply chain is helping to be more competitive, that we have the right pre-warning system, so to say. We have um, the right process. We have the right IT systems to back this up, to make sure that we continue to innovate and with this help to increase the resilience of the company. And we need to kind of tell this story. We need to tell the story that, hey, in this disruption, we still were able to deliver nine out of 10 on time, where supply chain people would normally always focus on, oh, this one I delivered not on time, but they would forget that, hey, and 90% was fine, right? So, and for the remaining 10%, we also find a solution. And warehousing plays a significant role in the supply chain resilience story. Back in July, Daphne, I remember you discussed the challenges facing this sector with Chris Smith, president of the grocery division at McLean Company, and Richard Costin, president of GXO Logistics in Europe. So a pretty broad range of experience in that conversation. And what struck me at the time was that both companies from completely different geographies saw that with the surge in e-commerce-driven demand and a shift from services to the sale of goods, labor attrition has intensified even as pressure rises on warehouses to meet delivery demands. So let's listen to what Chris Smith told us then. This issue with labor has really doubled so many companies' efforts of being an employer of choice because it just really instills the fact that having a tenured, stable workforce is critical for operational excellence. And I think as we have seen turnover expand over the last few years, it really did put pressure on our productivity of our warehouse as our tenured workforce was not there anymore. We saw productivity rates go down, the need to hire more people became a pressing need. And even though we had more bodies in our warehouse, more teammates in our warehouse, overall throughput was not the same because our productivity rates had diminished. And that also then created service disruptions for our customers with on-time deliveries and service challenges. But as we have seen that focus around becoming an employer of choice and really focusing around retention and keeping our teammates, we were starting to see that trend, thankfully, over the last six to eight months, start to flip the other way with retention numbers starting to move in a much better manner. And not surprisingly, our customer experience is also improving. It's true that matching skills with roles is a problem the world over and in all parts of the operations value chain. But it's also a real opportunity. Just recently, we were able to bring together several of the McKinsey team who had worked on the Manufacturing Africa initiative, a project funded by a UK international development from the UK government. And it serves as a blueprint for advancing the manufacturing sector. I asked Dr. Amy Jadasemi, the managing director of LADOL, a Nigeria-based logistics and engineering facility, about capability building to fill skills gaps and also the importance of developing more female leaders in the workforce. Nigeria is a place where we do have a young population. We uh, therefore are inundated with people who are functionally numerate, but may not have had the best educational opportunities and don't have the best experience. 
On top of that, what we're doing is quite specialized. The main thing we have to do is put a structure in place. So have a structure where we bring people in, we use technology, and by technology, I do mean work instructions, policies, procedures. People talk a lot about technology as if it's kind of this magic bullet, but you have to get a bit geeky with this kind of thing. You really have to put a lot of time and effort into putting together very detailed policies and procedures so that when someone gets in, they can effectively hit the ground running. And then what we find is that the learning rate is really quick. The uptake is really quick. And very soon you start to see staff training each other. And because we have a community at Ladol, we're like a small industrial village. You also have a strong sense of people taking responsibility, not just for their job, but for keeping the community safe and efficient. Right at the top of this episode, we mentioned that COP28 is now underway in Dubai, where of course carbon reduction is the main order of business, but also where conversations about sustainability more generally are underway. In the Manufacturing Africa episode, Dr. Jadasemi talked about sustainability as well. And the last thing I'll say about that is that this drive for sustainability is driven by the reality that sustainable businesses are more profitable businesses in the medium to long term. So we're not about sustainability because it's a gimmick or because it looks good or even because it's a good way of fundraising. We're about sustainability because it is the smartest, most effective, most profitable business strategy. I love the positive message about how sustainability goals are so often good for business and for informing business strategy, which is something we also talked about during our skinny design episode earlier this year. Here's Benedict Shepard and Leah Cobelli in conversation about what skinny design is and how it also can help companies meet sustainability goals. A skinny design is perhaps too complex a term because we're simply saying make things smaller. And the reason why that's so important in 2023 is it brings not one but four benefits. It means less material cost. It means less shipping cost. It means more product on the shelf, so fewer stockouts. And fourthly, and perhaps most importantly, it means less sustainable environmental impact as well. I'd like to probe a little bit on some of the kind of nitty-gritty trade-offs in thinking about how companies have to change their mindset in the just real estate that they have on packaging for marketing. How can less real estate end up being higher value for a company? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, especially the skinnier you go. Like, is it do you have interior exterior spaces you can create uh, you know additional canvas for communicating or engaging with customers you've been seeing a lot of qr codes i think that's an interesting idea and can work on some products to engage with customers on the other hand for companies that might mean they need to upkeep content and is it worth to do that for the potential little visits they see from customers so it's kind of looking at what are the best opportunities? And then the third one is about claims. What kind of claims can companies make if this, if the real estate is sparse? And in terms of sustainability, we've learned that the more claims we can, if they're credibly and they are actually, it's not greenwashing, but they can claim that this is fair trade, this is ethically sourced, and we're using sustainable packaging. That definitely has a big sort of impact on consumers. And we've seen like a growth rate as well on that. I thoroughly appreciated our discussion and the insight it provided into how our product packaging 
can significantly contribute to environmental sustainability. The topic of sustainability will certainly remain at the top of the boardroom agenda as we enter into 2024. In fact, during our most recent Lighthouses Live broadcast event, senior partner Enno Boer revealed that in their latest survey, a staggering number of respondents confirmed that sustainability is their top priority for the upcoming year, along with productivity and resilience. Let's give that a listen. The past decade has seen more global disruptions than ever before. Hand in hand with these disruptions comes economic impact affecting both the big and the small companies. At the same time, we are part of the fourth industrial revolution, a transformative digital era in which members of the Global Lighthouse Network, our lighthouses, are showcasing the potential of tech-enabled operations. In this environment, the traditional focus on service, quality, and cost have become table stakes. There are three new objectives that have been added, resiliency, workforce, and sustainability. In fact, in a recent survey, 77% of the respondents said labor productivity, sustainability, or resilience is their top priority over the next 12 months. What sets lighthouses apart in these challenging times is that they know how to react. This is such an inspiring program, and we encourage our listeners to check out the Global Lighthouse Network. This growing community of organizations is setting the trends for the future with the adoption of the fourth industrial revolution technologies across the value chain to drive growth and productivity, but also improve resilience and deliver environmental sustainability. As we think about pushing ahead, let's look at what our leaders have to say about the coming year. We sat down with Daniel Swan and Axel Carlson, senior partners and global co-conveners of McKinsey's operations practice. This episode was particularly strong providing a comprehensive view of how to uncover a new operational reality for 2024. With our last couple of clips for today, let's listen in and hear from Dan Swan on the three things companies should consider when it comes to their operations agendas. I think we should be encouraging around the mindset of our COOs and senior operations executives. One is, while I think a lot of our clients feel enormous pressure to deliver productivity in this environment, I, I would encourage people to use this environment as a chance to change the mindset around productivity within your organizations. There's never been a better opportunity to get heads of marketing, CFOs, heads of sales focused on productivity and tackle some of the things that an operations executive can't do on their own, but require collaboration with others. So how do we take this kind of pressure cooker environment around inflation and productivity and turn it into a mindset shift within your organization. I think the second thing I would think about is how do we infuse tech enablement into everything we do from an operations perspective, but not have it be a tech agenda versus an ops agenda, but those two things come together. And how does a COO get really close to the CTO or CIO, become best friends, go to lunch once a week, and really make sure that everything you're doing in that space reaps the benefit of the investments you're making. Because if there's one way that you can change the performance of a lot of supply chains and operations functions, it's to actually get the benefit from the investments we're making in technology that we've struggled to today. And the third mindset I encourage people to have is, 
How do we ensure that supply chain and operations remain a boardroom topic and a, a CEO priority as we return to something that feels more quote unquote normal? I'm not sure any of us know what normal means anymore, but I think this has been a really unique time where operations and supply chain have moved into the boardroom. And I think that's a really good thing, both for operations executives, but it's a really good thing for companies to have more and more boards and CEOs thinking about supply chain and operations every day. Let's double click on what he said about how we don't have days of normalcy anymore and how that calls for operations and supply chains to be moved into the boardroom together. That's a final thought for today that I think will hit home for our listeners. How does a COO get really close to the CTO or CIO, become best friends, go to lunch once a week, and really make sure that everything you're doing in that space reaps the benefit of the investments you're making? Leaders grabbing lunch together, so very literal food for thought. Well, another year on the books, packed, complex, and our experts and guests have been here to dig into the issues, provide real solutions, and underscore the impact of the operations agenda. It's going to remain at the top of boardroom priorities for the coming year, right, Daphne? I can't wait to see what happens next year. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. And me, Christian Johnson. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. We'll be back with new episodes in 2024.